30 days, you'll start to experience some real benefits. 90 days, you'll be convinced, you know, you'll never go back, right? Because the changes in your life will be so profound that you'll be like, wow, I wish someone had taught me this when I was five. What is up, B.A.? family and welcome to another episode of the breathe and air podcast where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset i'm your host mason bendigo thank you all for tuning in buckle up because you're in for a hell of a show today with the founder and ceo of seal fit and unbeatable mind he has served our beautiful country as a commander in the Navy, along with being part of the elite group, the Navy SEALs. On top of that, at 26 years old, he graduated as Honor Man, which is the number one trainee of his SEAL Buds class. It is my absolute honor and privilege to introduce to you Mark Devine. This was a powerful deep and usable message for y'all from Mark finding meditation at 21 years old and what that has done for his journey and his mindset and how it has helped him become the top performer that he has been and is to this day. We get into the ability to pivot from something that you are quote unquote supposed to do to something that you're passionate about, something that you're drawn to and how to tap into that awareness for you to be able to execute. We get into toughness leadership, concentration, the tools that you're going to need to be successful. And don't take it from me, take it from a top 1% man in the world as a Navy SEAL and someone who has continued to make an impact on people. If this is your first time, welcome to the BA family. Welcome to this journey and this community that we're all building together, step-by-step, brick-by-brick, 1% better at a time living above the noise. If you want to hear more from Mark, which I'm sure that you will, you can find him over on Instagram at Real Mark Divine. You can also find us and stay up to date with the latest and greatest on the show at Breathing Air Podcast. Without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you Mark Divine. Yeah, great to be here, Mason. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So an illustrious background, but the first thing that I want to start off this show with is when you hear the word toughness, what comes to mind? Well, not what most people probably perceive as toughness. For me, um, you know, I'll use the metaphor of the difference between a mighty oak and a wily little reed, right? If the there's times, right, when, when someone needs to be the mighty oak, right, to stand their ground. Uh, but then when the tsunami comes, you know, w- what gets washed away? The oak gets washed away, but the reed just lays down <laughs> and hides until it's over, right, and then pops back up. So it's someone who can be can stand their ground like the mighty oak, but also bend and sway and, and uh, be flexible like the reed. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Where are you based out of? Are you in California right now? Yeah, I'm up in uh, Encinitas, California, which is North County Coastal. A little Amazing. bit north of where the SEALs trained. Train. The SEALs are down in Coronado here in uh, uh-huh. Imperial Beach as well. And I'm about 30 minutes north of there. Have you been in California most of your life? or? You know what? I actually came out 
to California for SEAL training and I never left. <laughs> in fact, when I graduated BUDS, I was number one in my class in the Navy. You know, they said, okay, number one graduate, you get your choice of SEAL teams. And so I, my dream sheet, I said, oh, I'd like to go to SEAL team two, four, or eight, all of them on the East Coast because I grew up in upstate New York. Right. And so I got my orders to SEAL team three down in Coronado. And that's when I learned that the Navy really doesn't give a shit what you want. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah, yeah i have my sisters in glendale kind of outside of la and then my parents are on the east coast and then i'm in the south so we're all a little oh, bit yeah. spread out but you mentioned there you know that you um you graduated as honor man number one uh trainee in your class for seal buds and you know i'm i'm interested in what went into accomplishing that that's a huge accomplishment with some of the toughest men in the world what went into you being able to accomplish that? Well, a couple things. Um, again, also not what you would normally hear from a, a SEAL, right? Most SEAL guests uh, will probably tell you that, you know, the shortest course in mental toughness is to not quit and that they just took quitting off the table. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was certainly true for me. I mean, there wasn't quit wasn't something that was on the table for me. But the reason be behind that was um, that I had taken up meditation four years before I went into the SEAL teams. When I was 21, I went into the uh, SEALs at 25. I actually turned 26 at BUDS. And uh, I had developed a certain amount of um, awareness and mental control um, that allowed me to maintain some distance from my thoughts and emotions. And so when I got to BUDS and immediately saw the you know instructor's trying to get under everyone's skin and, you know, creating a big show out of being this, these badasses and, yeah. and, um, you know, in the, in the impossibility of this task that we had taken on, you know, I was able to kind of stand apart from that and recognize that for what it was. And so I didn't really get all worked up about it. I just took it in stride, you know, one, one day at a time. So that was part one. And part two is because of that, I was able to really be calm and be there for my small teammate, my small group of teammates that I call, or we call a boat crew. And so very early on in, in training, um, I started to help my boat crew out with breath control, with maintaining, you know, kind of the situational awareness or this witnessing perspective. Um, I, you know, I began a process of uh, dialoguing about how we're going to make this and about how we're going to chunk these things down into micro goals and you know, things that I had learned, not at SEAL training, but beforehand through my martial arts and through my meditation. So I, I had six guys supporting me, right? And, and each one of those six guys had six guys supporting them. And so we, we were way stronger as a team than any one of us could be as an individual. Now, everybody else in the class was a bunch of individuals because that's what happens. You come into buds and you're an individual and you're fighting for survival and everybody's in this massive competition to be standing there at, at least at the end of hell week, which gives you a fighting chance to be there at the end of buds. And, uh, I had six people on my back, you know, who had my back and I had their back and, and we were all working together for the same goal. We were committed to each other. We, you know, we were, we were competing against the other boat crews, not against ourselves. Right. Right. And so learning how to be a good teammate before buds, which again, I, I really learned that through a little bit through my competitive sports as a rower, because as a rower, you know, it's different than a lot of sports. Like we were radically in tune with each other, right? We had to be rowing, 
You know, if you weren't in sync with your teammates rowing crew, you literally get launched out of the freaking boat, (laughs) you know? So partly there and then largely through my martial arts where, you know, we were all competitive as martial arts. We fought each other, but we didn't fight each other to win. We fought each other to grow Mm -hmm. and to learn from each other. So that I brought those perspectives into SEAL training and it it was incredible. It really, really helped me be um, very effective at leading, uh, be very effective at being a teammate. And uh, even though I was the number one graduate of my class, my entire Boku graduated with me. So out of 185 guys who started, only 19 graduated and seven of us were were my Boku. That's pretty extraordinary when you think of it. Yeah. Unbelievable. (laughs) It definitely is. I mean, it's... uh you know, an extraordinary accomplishment. I think it just shows how important good leadership is in an organization and in your family with friendships. I mean, definitely, you definitely had a, an impact on that group of men. And I'm interested to go a little deeper in this meditation piece, because at 21 years old, I mean, it's a pretty early age to start diving into this spiritual journey the maturity of, you know, a 21 year old usually isn't diving into those kind of things. Right. So at such an early age, uh, you know, when did you realize, was it when you got into buds that like, man, this is such an advantage for me to have control of these emotions, control of these thoughts through meditation? Well, it was before then because I wouldn't have gone into the SEAL teams had I not started that meditation practice. I mean, I was, um, I was getting my MBA at Stern School of Business, which is NYU. I was working for um, PricewaterhouseCoopers. You know, I was on my way to be in finance and, you know, big business. I was a suit. And um, I wasn't thinking suddenly, I wasn't thinking, well, I'm going to do all this and then I'm going to go join the SEAL teams, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was thinking, I'm going to do all this and I'm going to make a lot of money. Yeah. But when I started to meditate, pretty much a few months after I got to New York and started that whole rigmarole, um, because I joined this martial arts program, you know, within probably nine months to a year, I started to have pretty significant shifts in my perception, um, you know, extended flow states. And I would, um, you know, the process I was following was a Zen process. And it turns out my, my meditation, um, not my meditation. Yeah. My meditation teacher, who was my martial arts grandmaster, you know, so he had this incredible balance between the hard and the soft, Mm. Um, between the yin and the yang, between, you know, the presence of a warrior and the, the mindset of a Zen master. And I was really intrigued with that. And so I, I took them seriously. You know, I, it wasn't like nowadays someone says, oh, yeah, meditation is good for you. And so just download this app and, and try it out. It's like, no, this is I could see I had a I had evidence in front of me of what meditation combined with hard physical training could do to an individual. And I was really inspired by that warrior archetype, that warrior path. And so a year into or so into my meditation practice, and we would train long sits every Thursday evening with a small group of black belts. And then I took it up um, every morning. So every morning for about a half hour, I would meditate. And so I started to drop off you know, following the Zen practice, uh, which is a practice of concentration. And I would get, you know, deeply concentrated for 30 minutes or so. And then I would drop off into stillness or into the void or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And every time I did that, I kind of would, you know, it seemed like I would bring something back with me. You know what I mean? It's like some sort of gem I brought back with me. And it wasn't always readily apparent, but, uh, but it had these certain qualities to it. And it was like, 
you can call that insight or intuition or kind of a knowingness, direct, direct perception is the term the yogis uh, use. It was some direct perception where I was perceiving something I didn't know before or was hidden from me. And what I, when I started to ask questions about what this quality was, what this energy was, I kept, I kept hearing or feeling the, the word warrior. And I was like, man, I am not only, you know, am I inspired by this warrior archetype in front of me and this Nakamura character who embodied the Zen master martial artist. Yeah. But I'm starting to feel that warrior archetype in me. And I did not feel like I was meant to be a, a merchant, let's say, using the archetype, you know, language. Right. I wasn't meant to be a merchant or, you know, the, you know, a, a multimillionaire or a business person. And yet that was the path I was pursuing. And so I started to ask, you know, questions about that, which I'd never really done that before. I'd never investigated the nature of my own self, my own reality, the, you know, or, or question the story that I was living. Mm. And mind you, this is in 1981, there wasn't, or 85, 85, 86, there wasn't a whole lot of information about meditation. There wasn't a whole lot of personal development programs like there are now where people are saying, investigate your story, you know, and find your purpose and all that. It's like nothing. I mean, Tony Robbins was just getting his start, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Jim Rohn was probably, you know, Jim Rohn and Napoleon Hill. I found Napoleon Hill's work. Yeah. He was extraordinarily helpful for me, and he helped me with my visualization practice, so that was cool. But um, you know, it was pretty much on my own, kind of developing these skills under the watchful eye of Nakamura. And, and um, the more I trained, the better questions I asked, the better questions I asked, the more insights I would get, until one day, you know, I just, I just flat out knew that I was going down the wrong path, and I knew that I had to... I had to go do something warily, but still I wasn't thinking, well, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. I didn't even know what they were. This is ironic because also unique to today is like everybody knows what the SEALs are. But back in 1986, nobody did. They were a very secretive organization with about 700 dudes. And and, um, it was very hard to find information about it, but I didn't know what they were. I've heard the term, but I didn't know what they were. So when I decided that, okay, I'm going to be a warrior, I'm just not sure how, I'm like, you know, yeah. I'm not sure what, where this is leading me, guess what? That's when one day I'm walking home from work and I walk past a Navy recruiter's office and I literally stop in my tracks and there's this poster that I'm staring at and the poster said on the top of it, be someone special and it had Navy SEALs doing cool shit. It didn't say anything yeah. about the Navy SEALs. It didn't say join the Navy SEALs. It just said U.S. Navy, be someone special. And it had images of guys doing, you know, free falling out of the night sky and, right. you know, locking out of a submarine and, and a sniper in a hide site. And I was transfixed. I was just like, that's it. That's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. yeah. And I went to the recruiter the next day and they're like, you don't want to be one of those guys. You know, <laughs> I was like, yes, I do. They're like, no, you don't. And I said, yes, I do. And they're like, ah, okay. You know, they knew that very few people get in and, you know, they weren't probably going to get their right recruiting quota you know and also the seals had this wickedly you know wicked reputation in the navy right as just being these just crazy snake eaters and so um they used the seals for marketing sizzle but you know there was a lot of fear and there's a lot of respect but um regular navy guys kind of feared them back then. yeah it's really interesting yeah you talked a little bit about you know 
you were going down this one path where subconsciously you all of a sudden realized, well, this isn't who I am. This is where I'm supposed to go. And I feel like a lot of people today may have that realization later, sooner or later, but everybody has it at some point. Um, what, you know, (laughs) I guess not everybody does. Some people unfortunately are walking, walking blind, but yeah. What, um, what really sprung you into action? Because so often I feel like people have that and then they're scared to take that step, that action that is required to get to that next level, that leap of faith per se, what really like pushed you to actually take that step and say, no matter what my family, friends, I'm really going to go down this path because I'm feeling drawn to it. If you make this purely an intellectual exercise, you'll never get the courage to make that leap. In fact, that word courage means open heart. Core is the French word for heart. So the more you practice self-awareness, introspection, meditation, asking questions which and contemplating, which looks a lot like journaling, um, the more you begin to connect with what I now call whole mind, which means your, your heart starts to open, starts to communicate with your mind or being, you start to pick up messages from your heart. There's a Japanese term, uh, Kokoro, which I use as a name for one of my seal fit events. And it means to merge your heart and your mind into your actions. And this is mm-hmm. really another word for courage. So I because that. I was doing all that deep work, there got to be a point where when I understood that I was meant to be a warrior and then I had the clarity that that was, you know, going to look like me being a Navy SEAL, there was a point where I had, I shifted into, this is not something I want to do. This is something I have to do. Right? And this mm-hmm. is like, you can talk about this in the concept, Buddhist concept of Dharma, right? Once you're clear about your calling or your Dharma, like, it's not something that you can avoid any longer. You absolutely have to do it or else your life is going to be suffering. Yeah. And you're going to accrue a lot of negative shit into your life. And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be, it's going to be painful to continue doing what you're doing, right? You have to pursue it in some way. And so that's what happened to me. I, I got to the point where it was so painful for me to continue being a CPA and going down this path. And so I said, I'm, I'm absolutely going to go down this path. I'm going to become a Navy SEAL. Right. Now, I also knew that it wasn't something I could just snap my fingers for, right? I wanted to be an officer because I was going to have an MBA and a CPA. Um, I wanted to finish up my MBA and CPA, and I'm still about two-thirds away done with all that. So I didn't want to quit those things. Right. I had to get into the Navy SEALs, uh, and, and the path that I wanted to take through Oscar Canada School was very, it's very rare. Like they only take one or two people a year. So all this, you know, the stars had to line up and everything, but I was so certain that this was my path that, and I visualized it every day. I literally Mm. added that as part of my morning practice. I visualized myself going through SEAL training, graduating, you know, kicking ass and taking names. Yep. And um, suddenly one day, this happened over a few days, actually, I just had this, feeling of certainty kind of wash over me that this had happened already, that this is already decided. Mm-hmm. And that's when the recruiter called me and said, Mark, congratulations, you know, <laughs> against all odds, you got the billet, you know, and uh, you got, you got one of the slots to go to Oscar school with a guarantee to go to SEAL training. 
Wow. So it's a pretty cool process. And I really credit it. I credit meditation and the whole process of uncovering my, my Dharma or my calling, you know, as um, giving me the courage to know that this is a necessary, not, not an option. It's a necessary. Yeah. Yeah, Awareness is such a huge piece of that. And, um, when you feel that alignment, I like to call that align, like that feeling you're explaining to me feels like alignment, right? With your purpose and your passion, those two things come together. You feel that alignment in your life. Yeah. You're not always going to feel aligned, but when you waver left or right, you're going to feel it. Yeah. You feel when you're out of alignment more than when you're in alignment. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. That's, those are the guardrails, right? I love that. That's a great analogy. Yeah. And, um, but once you find it, you can't ignore it. Like you said, it's, it's, um, it's a great thing to find, but it comes with its struggles because you can't stop. You can't keep wearing masks that aren't who you really are without yeah. that suffering that you explain, right? You're going to cause suffering to yourself and others, and you're hiding from your reality. You're hiding from your own true nature. And you know, there's tons of metaphors. Like it feels like you're swimming upstream, right? But when you align you're, you turn around and you're swimming downstream and you barely have to do any work. The, the work you have to do when you swim downstream is to keep from hitting the banks, which right. are those guardrails <laughs> that you're talking about, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You mentioned um, a little bit about, you know, your, your childhood and, and the past that you had and how did that, how did that shape you and how did that propel you um, to kind of use that as fuel in one way or another uh, while you were in SEAL training? Well, it's interesting. Um, This isn't true for everyone, but I know a lot of team guys come from families where there's a little turbulence, right? There's, you know, a little trauma, a little, you know, um, angry father issues and stuff like that, or no father, whatever. Well, I had kind of an angry father issue. He's a, you know, I love him to death, but boy, you know, he was uh, pretty volatile and a lot of alcohol and whatnot. And, and so growing up in that roof, um, under that roof, a couple of things happened. One is I developed a pretty significant amount of emotional resiliency, right? I mean, I stuffed a lot of my emotions. Now I had to unpack those and yep. deal with them. But uh, I tell you what, when you go through SEAL training and you've got these vicious instructors and you're looking at those instructors and, and you're smiling because you're like, you got nothing on my dad. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Then that, that gives you a lot of strength. You're like, yeah, right. bring it because you can't hurt me. Yeah. I, so that brings me a lot of strength. Secondarily, it was uncomfortable being in the house when my dad was around. And so, and he also kept my brothers and I busy like little slaves, you know, constantly yeah. doing projects, splitting wood and mowing the lawn and this and that and the other thing. So that was good for my work ethic, but also any downtime ahead, I was out in the wilderness, right? And we had a, a really beautiful summer home up in Lake Placid, New York, you know, so I was surrounded by wilderness behind me and a lake in front of me. And so mm-hmm. I was always in, on, or under the water or in those woods, often alone. Yeah. And so I got really comfortable with being alone. I got comfortable with endurance sports because, you know, I used to just run up the, you know, run up the mountains. And uh, I actually went up with a friend of mine who was a Harvard guy and we would, we would wrap our ankles. We'd run up the mountain, wrap our ankles and play tag on the way down. <laughs> like literally like flying. If you ever, you know, hiked yeah. in the, in the Northeast, you know how treacherous that is. Right. Right. 
you know, stumps and rocks everywhere. And we're just like flying down these mountains, you know, spinning through the air and tumbling and just beating the shit out of ourselves. Yeah. And I got pretty tough doing that. Nature was a great teacher. Mm, it is. And then because I was really comfortable being alone in those and in, in doing those kind of endurance things, then that led me naturally to endurance sports like competitive swimming, triathlons, where I mentioned rowing. Um, and so those sports further forged my um, capacity to endure suffering over long periods of time, which was very valuable for SEAL training. Yeah. I, I think oftentimes we can use those negative emotions that we have and channel them towards something positive. Yes. Um, but at the same time, right, they can bog us down. And I think at certain times, you know, make us feel shame or resentment or whatever those emotions may be from our past. So yeah. how are you like able to use that as almost a positive in that situation, but still not let it affect uh, maybe the way that you thought of the world or made decisions going forward? That's a great question. Um, the, the meditation had a big effect at balancing out um, the negative side of those emotions because one, yeah. of the, one of the products or byproducts of meditation, a long-term meditation is developing the witnessing mindset, which I described mm -hmm. a little bit earlier, yep. where I was able to separate myself from my thoughts and emotions and recognize that even though those were there, that I wasn't those. And so the metaphor there was I became more like, you know, the, the mountain and the, and the thoughts and emotions were the clouds passing by in the sky. That's a kind mm -hmm. of a classic description of witness um, yeah. consciousness. So that's part one. And part two is I too ran into trouble uh, like a lot of my teammates who grew up, you know, grew up with trauma and alcohol, I, I started to get into trouble with that early in my career. Because, you know, alcohol is a big issue in the special ops community, right? Yeah. You know, you, you go on these long deployments, you're under extreme stress, and then you get back and you, you tend to rage and, you know, yeah. let it all go with your buddies. And alcohol is a big part of that. And, you know, I got into trouble with that. And so I had to... um you know, I had to take a look at that, right? And so I started to um, get some therapy. It yep. really started because I moved next door and became friends with a woman who was a therapist who later became my wife. <laughs> right <laughs> after I graduated that from one. Buds. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> escape that. And so, uh, so I started doing therapy literally when I was um, 27. Wow. So now, now you've got, okay, so combine hard physical training in the special ops um, with a daily practice of meditation now with the emotional development of therapy and you have a really powerful training package there yeah and this is kind of what i recommend or what we teach at unbeatable mind is is multi-dimensional training Phys we have called five mountains physical mental emotional intuitional and spiritual and so i was doing a, a version of that already and um i started to to become aware of the power of that over time. And then I wanted to teach, you know, other, other special operators that, which is what led me to create seal fit. And then, and that's when I really refined it, this integrated developmental uh, program that I called unbeatable mind. I really refined it with spec ops candidates when I launched seal fit back in 2006, I was still in the Navy too. I mean, it was, I was off active duty as a re, in a reserve capacity. So I was able to start a business and kind of have a, somewhat normal life. 
Yeah. So you implemented this, you came back after you retired and implemented and helped train other seals, correct? That's right. Not retired. Um, retired okay. is like you're out, out, out. I right. retired in 2011. Okay. But I got, I got off active duty before 9-11. And then I stayed in, you know, I stayed in the reserves. I got mobilized a few times. I went to Iraq. I, you know, yeah. did a lot of work as a reserve officer, but you know, for eight of the 10 years I was a reserve officer, you know, I maybe did 45 to 60 days a year of work for the SEALs. And the rest of the time I was a civilian, you know, just like you. And right. so I had a lot of time to build a business and to, you know, build my family. That's when I built SEAL Fit. I was a reserve officer and I wanted to train the SEALs and spec ops candidates in this kind of methodology that had served me so well. And, um, and I did. And 90% and of the guys I train make it through SEAL training, hmm. which is cool. And so there's a lot of SEALs now who have trained in the principles of Unbeal Mind or come to our SEAL Fit training events. And now the um, BUDS has actually been in integrating some of the Unbeal Mind principles, you know, so, such as box breathing into their training and visualization. And so it's kind of come full circle, which is pretty cool that I was able to influence the training for the special operators and to help level up the, um, the warriors that are going into the force these days. Yeah. If I have this statistic correct with that system, you reduced attrition in the seals up to 5%. Well, that, that is to, to make that an accurate statement. That was a nationwide mentoring program that I, helped launch, mm -hmm. which preceded seal fit. Okay. The reason I didn't stay with that is because the, the contract, it was a government contract was stolen from us by a company called Blackwater. And my response to that, instead of fighting them was to launch seal fit and to do it through a civil, you know, let, let the okay. candidates pay me. So it was related. Now that program, uh, probably combined with the efforts of myself and a few others who were like, okay, we really got to improve the quality of the incoming force, right. which will help reduce the attrition rate and improve the quality of the SEAL force once they graduate. That led to a 5% reduction in attrition. You know, it used to be like 90%, then it went down to 85% fail rate. Yeah. You know? right. <laughs> but that 5%, you know, was a lot of good people, you know, who, who got into the teams, who belonged in the teams, you know. Yeah, that's a hell of a fail rate, though, going in there and thinking that 99 out of 10 probably aren't going to make it through. I mean, that's... Yeah, and that's, and that's the people who make it to BUDS. Right. You know, there's probably another 90% who want to go to BUDS who don't even make it through the whole recruiting process, you know? Right. So what was the biggest missing link, if you could sum it down into one thing that really changed and, you know, caught on and made such a difference in that community? It really was just weeding out the people who just didn't really know what they were getting into yeah, and they weren't prepared or weren't willing to do the preparation. And also the people who were doing it for the glory and not for the mission. Mm. And, it, yeah. and it's hard to weed all those people out because some still get through. Right. You know, I, I literally had a guy, this is mind boggling still to this day, but we were spooling up to go to the first Gulf War. And I had a guy come into our office. I was the assistant platoon commander and um, basically say, hey, I'm not, we're not going. I'm not going. And we're like, what? What do you mean you're not going? He goes, no, I'm not going. And I'm like, what do you, you know, does that, 
Are you saying you're a conscientious objector? The guy had never actually used those words in his own mind. Right. But when I posed the question to him, he had to pause and think, well, shit, yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. And so we said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I just wanted to prove that I could be a Navy SEAL. So there's a lot of dudes who want to prove that they're as tough as a Navy SEAL. And they, some will even go to buds to prove that, but they have no intention or desire to go to war. And so one of the things wow. we try to do in our training is to get back to our, our, our uh, discussion about purpose and calling is like, you know what? You come to Kokoro camp, and if you're a SEAL candidate, by the end of Kokoro camp, you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt as to whether you're meant to be a SEAL or not, because you're going to be faced with that question. You're not going to be able to succeed unless you can answer that question. And, um, and so a lot of people come to that training, and they, and they leave saying, thank you very much, because I actually don't want wow. to do I don't want to do what those guys are doing, you know, and just because it looks good on TV and, and seals have a fierce reputation, man, is you have to want it badly for the right reasons, right? You have to want it for yeah. the right reasons to serve your country, to serve your teammates, to serve the mission. And you're literally fourth in that line, you know? So if you're doing it for yourself, you know, cause you want to be a badass Navy seal and get all the girls stand by, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's incredible to think. I mean, it's just for people who don't understand, I mean, going through that process, going through hell week, I mean, <laughs> just to not finish the thing that you're supposed to do, that's all that's for. I mean, it's, um, that's a piece of psychology to experiment with right there. I mean, that's, yeah, no that's, that's crazy. I want to, you mentioned box breathing, right? And I'm always first time I got introduced to breathing techniques in any form, I played college football and thankfully had a, um, a PT physical, tra uh, physical therapy guy who kind of intertwined this with our weight training and would have us cool down afterwards and just do a lot of belly breathing, kind of similar to the box breathing you were explaining. And it wasn't until then that I realized that breathing properly could help my physical performance. Mm -hmm. um, and then a little bit further down the road is when it started clicking with the full mind to body connection and kind of what you explained is, you know, separating your thoughts and, and this meat carcass that we have and, and really connecting to something <laughs> deeper. But what has been your experience with breathing and, and not just for physical um, optimization, but also, you know, utilizing that to help in meditation or, mm -hmm. or um, stressful events, anything like yeah. that. I mean, we could, we could talk for hours and hours. <laughs> yeah. I learned, I first learned breath control training from my grandmaster, martial arts master, and not through meditation. Although yeah. we did do a breathing practice for meditation we use the breath as our, um, as our method of concentration, right? Um, so it was valuable for that. So breath work and breathing slowly, methodically through your nose and concentrating on it is one of the most powerful forms of meditation practice, deepening your powers of concentration. So I learned that early on and had that powerful experience. And also I learned, you know, contracting and constricting the breath was a way to mm -hmm. develop um, focused power. You know, just like, you know, just like squeezing breath through a straw, you know, 
the breath becomes oh. really focused. And so you can, you can create a lot of power through con uh, constricted breathing. And um, you can also create heat, right? So look at Wim Hof's breathing, right? Yeah. So I learned that you could create heat and, and uh, really warm yourself up, which proved big dividends advice, yeah. right? be able to breathe deeply and forcefully and warm yourself up while you're sitting in the frigid, you know, ocean <laughs> yeah. in California, which ain't very warm, especially during the winter. And um, so I really loved breathing. I had some simple practices that I use. And then when I got into yoga, that's when I really learned that, wow, this is not, you know, this is vast. And, it, and it's oh. been studied for thousands of years by the yogis. And there's literally hundreds if not thousands of different ways to breathe that'll have a different effect on your physiology and your psychology and i learned and began to experiment with the breath as that link or bridge between the body and the mind and the spirit which you just mentioned mm. earlier yeah in fact the breath is considered to be the pivot point between an external orientation and an internal orientation or between the yin and the yang or action and surrender and so um, I began to take it even more seriously until literally every, every day became um, built around breathing training or breathing practices, you know, my morning ritual, my evening ritual, different breathing practices around training, you know, weightlifting, like you said, or right. high intensity training or recovery. And then I really got deeper and deeper into the meditation practices where breath is really the anchor both to draw you deeper inward into your interior realms, but also then to, to hold you there and also to be kind of like your uh, journey back anytime your mind wandered. Yeah. Right? And so breath training and breath awareness are, you know, it's just extraordinarily valuable and important for anyone who, who's serious about getting control of their physiology, their psychology, and, and growing into a whole person yeah and, and finding their fullest potential yeah it can it's it's just one of the i would say most powerful biohacks that we have access to in not just a physical sense but you know you're stressed out you know you can feel your heart rate rising whatever it may be you can bring you back to baseline so fast um it's it's a powerful tool but you mentioned concentration and for a seal, for someone who's a high performer, I mean, concentration is something that is constantly getting pulled at in, in today's world, right? We have so many distractions right. and for us to fully concentrate our time and the, the statistics on how long people can focus now is like so small, it's constantly waning, but, um, that's, that's a superpower training distraction. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you're not training your mind, someone else is training it for you, mm. right? If you're not training your mind to concentrate and you're, and you're constantly on your phone checking your TikTok feed or your Instagram <laughs> feed, yeah. then you, you're being trained by your phone to be a distracted human being. Wow. So it's yeah. still training, right? The mind is, is a completely malleable thing. It's just, it's just a stream of consciousness built upon memories. That's really what your mind is. And, and so you can train that mind. It was just kind of like shaping the riverbanks. You can train the mind to be very, very, you know, have these deep, you know, very, very straight riverbanks. And that's called a concentrated mind. Or your mind can be like all over the place, distracted. You know, it's kind of like a, a very 
you know, like a, like a, a lake that has tons and tons of little inlets on it. And you're always getting stuck or lost in an inlet. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's because it's, your mind is trained that way. So like what I learned in the, in, uh, with the seal fit program is that they're really not kind of, there is a process to training the mind that is the best to follow. And the first step is physical, um, control, getting control over your physiology by having a healthy body. So exercise, nutrition, and sleep. That's foundational, right? And then arousal control, which is basically box breathing to de downregulate from the sympathetic, you know, nervous system being triggered all the time, which it is. Right. And it's wired that way. So, so box breathing down regulates you and gives you the capacity to down regulate with just a simple one or two, you know, cycles. Right. And it also will bleed off a lot of that upregulated stress, you know, from being in a state of hyper arousal for long periods of time, which most Americans anyways are Westerners. So arousal control is, is really the first thing that you need to do built on top of the, uh, you know, the healthy body that's getting enough sleep. It's very, very hard to do arousal, proper arousal control. If you're, you know, if you're sleep deprived and not properly nourished and, or exercise, right? So those things are foundational. Now, what is really cool about breath control training, like box breathing is that breath, as I mentioned earlier, becomes the, anchor for your mind, right? It becomes like a, a center post in the storm or the sea of your mind. And so you, you hook your mind to the breath and use that as a means to develop the, the riverbanks that we're talking about, to move from a, a distracted mind to a concentrated mind. And we call that attention control. So you use the breath as your center of attention in your practice periods. And anytime your mind wanders, you bring it back to the breath. And what happens here is because you're doing this practice over time, through consistent daily practice over time, you're able to hold your attention on the breath for longer and longer periods of time, which is concentration. Mm -hmm. So attention control first allows you to hold your attention on something, first the breath and then on anything that you want to hold your attention on, which is very valuable for Navy SEALs, but also gives you the mental power to hold your attention onto that object for long periods of time and, and to bring more mind power to that attention so that you can penetrate the subject in a deeper fashion. You can, you can see more, think more, better about it, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you know, just to summarize, you have the basic physical health of the body and the brain allows you to use the box breathing pr uh, practice in an undistracted manner to develop arousal control, which is down-regulating the nervous system, which then gives you the physiological capacity to sit and meditate effectively to develop attention control, which develops the powers of concentration. Mm. It's amazing. It's uh, when it's people, I feel like sometimes make it more complicated than it has to be. And then simplicity is, you know, beautiful at times and yeah. often harder to do than the complex things. Yeah. Right. We used to say that getting to simplicity on the other side of complexity is the hardest path. <laughs> yeah. It's true though. Exactly. 
Exactly. It doesn't have to be this big, long formula. It can just be things that you really focus on and make yours. Yeah. Um, And how simple is just sitting and breathing in a square pattern or a box pattern? It's the simplest thing ever. But how many people actually will do it every day in a disciplined manner? Not many because they're too distracted. They're too agitated. They, you know, their mind wants to jump after the next shiny thing. So you, you have to start in a crawl, walk, run fashion. You have to believe what you're saying or what I'm saying and that this is really valuable and trust us for a moment until you prove it to yourself. This is how I used to train the SEALs. It's like, I said, don't trust. I said, trust me that this is valuable, but prove it yourself. Yeah. You got to become a study of N equals one. Prove it yourself. But in order to prove it, you have to stick with it for at least 90 days. Right. 30 days, you'll start to experience some real benefits. 90 days, you'll be convinced. You know, you'll never go back, right? Because the changes in your life will be so profound that you'll be like, wow, I wish someone had taught me this when I was five, right? And I have a lot of, uh, a lot of people who are teaching their, their kids box breathing, and it has a profound effect on their, yeah. on their lives at a young age. Awesome. Yeah, yeah it's, it really is. I think a big part of that too is, uh, at least for me, discipline-wise, I can tell such a huge difference when I start my day with intention and you know, early in the morning versus, you know, hitting the snooze button or, you know, starting a little more sloppy in the morning. So you had mentioned your mornings and nights really too. And I kind of have routines around both of those, but I'm interested, you know, what does it look like for you starting your day with momentum? Yeah, well, I think both morning and evening, they're like bookends. Those rituals are really important. A lot of people focus on the morning ritual because, you know, it does give you that um, good start for the day. You know, I call it winning in your mind before you step foot in the battlefield. Yeah. But the problem is it, it, the evening ritual is equally as important because it's the container, you know, right? With the morning ritual, you have one end of the container. And then if you don't cap it, all the energy and all the ins- insights and wisdom that where your potential learnings and growth for the day can, will all leak out, mm. right? And so you cap the day with your evening ritual and you ask, what did I learn? What went well? What didn't go well? And what regrets can I eradicate right now before I go to bed? And so the two of them now provide this, this kind of these bookends or this, this closed vessel kind of feeling that w- which really helps build energy. Um, back to your question, morning ritual winning in your mind for me starts the moment I gain regain more uh, conscious awareness as my sleep cycle ends and I come into, you know, so I have a process called first words and this came, you know, it's a warrior tradition thing. It's like what words want naturally will come to your mind. Well, it's going to be some sort of subconscious routine or program that always pops into your mind. You know what I mean? It might be uh, something around a dream or something was happening yesterday or whatever. And so I take control of that with both gratitude and with box breathing and a mantra, right? So I take control of my inner dialogue immediately and I turn it positive. I make sure it's positive. And, uh, and then I get up, use the restroom. I have a large glass of water and that's like topping off the battery because you know, that, that meat sack of ours gets dehydrated at night. It needs water. It needs water for the neurochemical processing to be efficient. Right. So drink water with gratitude. And then I go back and I continue my practice by um, box breathing through a series of journaling questions 
and reflection on my, um, I, I take um, looking at my Dharma, my, uh, what I call my three P's, my purpose, passion, and principles mm-hmm. as a daily practice to, to make sure I'm in alignment every day. And what happened, the reason for this is like the metaphor of, you know, if you set sail from New York to London and you're one degree off and you'll end up, you know, like in South Africa, <laughs> well, a lot of people do that. They, they get all excited that they've discovered their calling and they set forth, but they're one degree off, but they mm-hmm. don't ever, you know, investigate it again until five years later. And they're like, oh man, I'm not in alignment anymore. Right. Yeah. So I think that, that aligning with yourself, with your calling is a daily practice. So I, I reflect upon mine every day. And I even make modest adjustments to my statements around what my purpose is uh, when I feel like, oh, there's been a shift that's happened. Right. So that way it's like, I'm constantly tacking with the wind and I never just going one degree off for a long period of time. So I do that. That takes me about 20 minutes. And then I, um, I have some things that I read in the morning, which are inspirational spiritual leanings and things. And so I'll read those and meditate for 20 minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'll let those kind of sink into my consciousness and I'll meditate. Um, Then I have a smoothie. By the way, I do all this with my wife, which is really powerful. That is awesome. You can do a practice with your sniffing others or your kids, man, it's, it's just really, really powerful. So then I have a smoothie and we come up to my office, which is also my training center and um, we do a yoga routine for about 25 minutes or so. We'll meditate again. And then we do our, uh, our workout, you know, which is more like a high-intensity functional workout with weights. Yeah. That's my morning routine. Then I have a hyperbaric chamber, and I'd like to get into that you yeah. know, for 45 minutes to an hour. And that'll be, you know, they'll start some, you know, kind of like creative work while I'm in there. I don't take any meetings or business type stuff before 10 o'clock. I consider all that morning time from, you know, when I wake up between five and six until 10 to be mastery time. Yeah. And then from 10 on is service time. (laughs) I love that. I love that. The evening ritual I already kind of described, it's much shorter, but it's where I pause and reflect upon the day all the way back to my morning ritual and say, how did thing, you know, how did it go? What went well? This is based on the Navy SEAL debrief process, by the way. What went well? What didn't go well? What did I learn about those things? What can I change to do better? And do I have any regrets or anything I need to clean up? Because a lot of times you, you say things or things happen and you're like, boy, I could have done better on that one, right? I wasn't very present or I said something I regret. And so you have an opportunity to clean that stuff up right away as a, instead of just stuffing it or ignoring it or denying it and allowing that regret to kind of fester and build, which then deepens negative patterns in your life. So, so I always make sure that I eradicate regrets in real time if possible, but at least at the end of the day. And often I'll dash off an email or make a call or, you know, just listen, sorry about that, or I could have done better or, you know what I mean? Let's redo that. (laughs) Let's do over. And man, that practice is so powerful because it clears up all of that stuff. You, you know, it changes your dreams because now you're, you know, you're not trying to process that stuff in right. your dream state. Um, it just releases negative karma. Yeah. yeah. And it's extreme, you know, it's self-ownership, extreme ownership. And it's 
people respect that, you know, respect the hell out of that. When someone can say, you know what, I might've fell short here. Right. And it just strengthens, it strengthens that bond even more and the respect uh, with whoever that experience was with. Trust and respect is built not upon trying to be perfect, but upon admitting that you're not perfect (laughs) and just working to do better. Hmm. Amazing. I mean, I think that is a perfect place to transition into uh, leadership. I mean, I, I'm, you know, inspired by the leadership that you've shown and what you've done and built. And what you just said there is to me a characteristic of an effective leader. But if you could kind of think back about, um, you know, the people and, you know, the soldiers that you've trained, what is, what are the key characteristics uh, to an effective leader? Well, I think we just touched on probably the biggest one, and, and you could um, use the term humility to really yeah. describe that quality of an individual who doesn't try to be the right one or the best, the smartest one, or you know, to up, you know, up one up everybody else in the team, but the individual who asks really good questions, who respects everyone's input, who asks for everyone's input, who treats everyone the same. Right. And I, I, you know, in the military, there's so much kiss assery going on and it drives me crazy. (laughs) And I loved senior officers who were just okay with being, you know, that understood that there was certain, you know, there's a reason for the rank and the protocol and, and that should be respected. But behind the uniform is just another human being. And so I'm not a piece but because I'm commander divine than I was when I was ensign divine, or if I was petty officer divine for that matter, right? It's, a, it's just a human being behind the uniform, right? So when you um, can lead with that, you know, I call that authenticity, that authenticity of like, hey, we're all in this together. We're on the same team. Now we have our roles and those roles might include, you know, rank structure and, and different positions, but ultimately a team is built upon courage, trust, and respect. And so let's lead with those, not lead with rank, role, and, and positionality, which are the worst kind of leaders, yeah. as you know. Yeah. So that, that humility and authenticity, um, being willing to admit that you're you know, not perfect, that you don't have all the answers, that the team is the leader, you know, is the center of the leadership energy, and especially to admit as quickly as possible when you realize you screwed up to do it publicly if possible if it's not going to bring embarrassment to the individual right all right and i think um those attributes go a long way to cultivating the qualities of a good leader not after all a leader is just someone who really can harmonize and mobilize a team you know to do a mission that they all believe in or can share a vision around right so so a leader is, you know, is in a temporary role to guide, harmonize, and mobilize the efforts of others. But oftentimes, once that starts, that ball starts rolling, it's best for them to just get out of the way and support the team and remove obstacles, right? And provide resources and those types of things. Huh. You had mentioned earlier on, you know, your mentor that really taught you meditation and you know, martial arts and this physical and mental connection. And a lot of times those mentors are, you know, huge leaders in our life and springboard success and help us become the right people. And 
oftentimes, you know, a mentor is very life-changing, but mm -hmm. for someone that's out there and it's like, I, I really want to find a good mentor. I really want to look for qualities in a mentor. You know, where do I start with this? Like, what is your advice to, you know, someone out there that is yearning for that mentorship from somebody? Well, you know, when the individual's ready to learn, the teacher will appear. So it's that yearning is the most important element. Earnestness in seeking and desiring growth and yearning to accept teaching from another individual, those two things will normally attract yeah. the teacher into your life. Now, you don't have to just sit around and wait. <laughs> right. Right. So like I, I was looking for a martial artist. I wasn't looking for a Asian teacher, but when I found the grandmaster, you know, it, it, there must've been a reason that I found Nakamura who was also a meditation teacher. And cause I immediately took to the meditation. I was like, Oh, this is what I'm here for. Not oh, to get yeah. a black belt. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's fun to get a black belt and I've gotten a few of those, but who cares? Right. That's just a, it's just a symbol that, you know, I've stuck with it long enough. Right. But the meditation was the real juice, right? That was the real thing. So if you've got that earnestness to grow and learn and a yearning to learn from others and to not do it alone, which, you know, seems to go hand in hand, then, you know, you've got to ask yourself, learn what? grow how and from whom because everyone's going to is on a different path so one mentor is not you know for, for me is not going to be right for you or for somebody else right and so mentors have to align around those things like what you need to learn they've got to be an expert in that and how you need to grow they've got to be able to embody that right they have to sh prove it so that they had that growth or else they're not going to be able to, you know, hold the mirror up to you. Right. And, and they've got to basically harmonize with your personality so that they're the right person for you at the right time. And they've got to be willing also. Now, most people who've really accomplished a lot of growth in their lives are willing to mentor. They want to mentor because it's a natural process of growth is to want to serve. And help others on their path, you know. Yeah, I um, I recently saw that you had an opportunity to sit down with Dr. Daniel Amen. I'm big into the neuroscience piece. I actually had one of his studies come on Caleb Barnes, and it was a great show. But it's always so intriguing to me, especially from someone who um, has probably had quite a bit of head trauma in my life uh, throughout the years, but. Um, what was that like? Like, what was your biggest takeaway from that, from one of the, you know, top brain, you know, experts? Yeah. I mean, super cool. Well, my biggest takeaway is that there's a heck of a lot of people in this world who have brain trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about like all the sports, like soccer, rugby, right. your football, the sport of being a special operator, like all the every time we shot, every time we jumped out of an airplane, you know, every time we blew something up, there's trauma happening to our brains. So all the concussions I had as a kid, you know, the, the time I tripped over a garbage can with a wooden stick in my mouth and went up through the roof of my mouth. Oh, right? 
All of that. When I looked at brain scan, my, there's a look like there's a big hole, like I've been shot through the center of my head. I'm like, that's not really a hole. He goes, no, no, no. It's actually just a place that's not getting blood flow. And he said that incident that you ran that stick through the you yeah. know, roof of your mouth and your head, that's what caused that. Huh. And so, so that was the first insight is that most, if not all military members should get some uh, or have or really pay attention to their brain health. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, there's, there's not a whole lot you can do besides nutrition and, um, and some interventions like uh, electrostim, neurofeedback, and even psychedelics, right, are, are, they're starting to prove that psilocybin and um, even ketamine have a neuroplastic effect and can heal yep. the brain. A lot of uh, studies with vets happening with those, um, yep. those molecules. And I've tried all of that stuff, right, because I wanted to preventive, preventative medicine, right? And I think anyone who's played football, any special operator or military person does a lot of shooting and demo work, anybody who's had head trauma should really consider neurofeedback, um, EEG, electrostim, and psychedelic work as preventative medicine because you see what's happened to all these football players. And that's kind of like the canary right. in the coal mine. It's going to happen with soccer players. It's happening with special operators. You know, the older you get, the more that trauma builds up and then it shows up in really, really strange mental patterns and emotional patterns, which can feel a lot like depression, anxiety, suicidal tendencies. And I had a, a friend of mine, Mark Crampton, who committed suicide. He's my, one of my best SEAL friends, and he was my platoon chief back at SEAL yeah. Team 3. And this guy was AJ squared away. You know, he's headed up all the instructor cadre in the SEALs until a few years ago, got out. He was one of my coaches for SEAL Fit. He was always helping others. He was always mentoring. He was always happy. He was a very religious guy, had a family. And one day they found him where he shot himself through the heart. And I am convinced it was because he had unaddressed brain trauma. Yeah. Never did anything about it because nobody told him. Right. It's, it's really shocking and sad. So that's, I learned a lot of that, not just with Dr. Amen, but the last few years of my studying and, and working with vets through our Courage Foundation and whatnot. This is no joke, right? Mental health is extraordinarily important to take care of and you gotta you know everyone listening you gotta like really ask yourself seriously you know have i experienced trauma probably are if you're an athlete or a military person or you've had concussions so take care of it and take care of it through nutrition and some of these other interventions yeah absolutely i i love that there's a lot more studies coming out on you know different avenues and ways that we can you know, help some of that trauma and, and be more educated on it. Right. I, I think it's, yeah, yeah. I think it's amazing. Well, everything happening. we've talked about, Mason, everything we've talked about exercise, sleep, nutrition, supplementation, breathing, and meditation. Yeah. You do those things. It'll, you know, that's why like when he looked at my brain, he's like, this is pretty dang good compared to a lot of them I see, but still, you know, get this, this point here. And, yeah. And, uh, and so we're going to work on those. It's like fine tuning. We'll work on those. When he had some supplements that he gave me, and there are certain types of supplements that are really good for the brain. And honestly, I don't remember what they all are, but you know, certainly like high doses of vitamin B and D and those types of things. Right. Um, but um, if you take care of those fundamental things, then you're, you're, you're going to be pretty good. Yeah. Fundamentals. Still, therapy and some of these other things get rid of the, you know, the patterns can build up like my friend Mark, cause he did all those things too. Right. Now he didn't meditate, 
but he did breath work. He was in the Wim Hof. I don't know. There's, there's layers and layers to this, right? So the back to the emotional development and the, and the, and the psycho spiritual development that you get through meditation and the combination of meditation and therapy, mm-hmm. it really can unlock things that are hidden from view. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of psychedelic assisted therapy, which is a new thing. Yeah. And you can, you can get that now legally through these uh, ketamine clinics yep. and they're, they're having extraordinary success in really breaking people wide open and, and uncovering some of these uh, hidden trauma pa- patterns that, you know, could lead to serious problems someday. What, is, what was, has your experience been with, with the psychedelic piece? Have you, you said you tried it? Yeah, and- I've experienced, um, because I work with this, the vets and I wanted to refer vets. So I, I don't refer people to anything that I haven't, <laughs> haven't done. Yeah. You know, cause I just don't feel comfortable doing that. So I've experienced the ibogaine, uh, good for addictions as well as um, um, overcoming trauma. Yep. And I work with a, a group called the Mission Within, which has a, a place down in Mexico. And they, they've worked with a lot of SEALs and a lot of other special operators with huge success. So that experience was good. Um, I've worked with a, a company right now that I'm vetting that does um, ketamine-assisted therapy. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a couple of groups. One's called Flow. I forget the last, uh, if there's something else to it, the Flow. It's a startup in San Diego. And then also one called Wonder Med. And uh, I think that process has got a tremendous potential because, yep. you know, it's a really light ketamine journey. Um, lasts about an hour. And, you know, it coupled with uh, competent um, processing and therapeutic right. intervention, it's, it's, it's got the potential to really uh, heal the brain yep. from these things. So Absolutely. those are the primary things I have had experience with psilocybin, like most people, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one way or another, yeah, one way or another, yeah. nothing I do, you know, routinely, but I think these are important interventions that a lot of people still have a lot of fear around because of the whole war on drugs and all the right. fear built into our culture. And that fear is unfounded. I'm here to tell you, that's just, that's, manipulation and media, you know, yeah. fear mongering, you know, hard drugs. Yes. Stay the F away from hard drugs, but yeah. psilocybin is a plant for God's sakes. Yep. You know, ayahuasca is a plant. These plants have never killed anybody. Right? Right. <laughs> and when done, but they should be done, not recreationally, but with a competent, you know, shaman level yeah. or th- uh, trained therapist person and friend, you know, who says, Hey, let's go do this. I hear it's good for the brain. Now you should do it with an expert. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, uh, we talked about a lot of great things so far, but a question I always love to ask is what is your definition of success? Well, to me, ultimately success is when you can look back at the end of your life and have absolute satisfaction contentment and peace of mind that you lived well and what does living well mean it means living in alignment with your calling and it means being in service to other people and it means being compassionate and bringing good into the world and and you would look at that and say yeah that's good 
and you won't care what your bank account is, you won't how many assets you have. Or, in fact, you're going to make sure that nobody's going to be fighting over that stuff when you go away because right. you know how damaging that is. So that's success. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. You have multiple books. You have a lot of avenues where people can see your content and you know continue to push this stuff to their friends and family as well. So where can everybody find you? Where can they find your books um, and, their, and all your content podcasts? Yeah, thanks. Uh, kind of the, the central aggregator of that stuff is my personal website, markdivine.com, D-I-V-A-N-E. And then if uh, people just use social media, I have an Instagram channel at real Mark Divine, and I just launched a TikTok channel today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be interesting. <laughs> and Facebook, you know, all that kind of stuff. LinkedIn, yeah. I'm easy to find. Real Mark Divine. And um, if anyone's interested in the training we talked about, SealFit, then go to SealFit.com. You can learn more about that. We still run those Kokoro events twice a year. We get a lot of SEAL candidates who go to them, and they're really, really intense. They're cool. It's the hardest training you'll ever come to, but just the process, the decision, the commitment, the process of training for it and the event itself is life-changing. So yeah, then, then my, my unbeatable mind program is really executive coaching, peer sure. group executive coaching, which we try to model after being like in a small seal platoon, we call a boat crew. So it's really cool to be held. We call, you know, you mentioned the term extreme ownership, what we call it extreme accountability. Like yeah. you have a swim buddy holds you accountable. You have a boat crew that holds you accountable and you have a coach. It's a super cool program. And I'm launching my own boat crew called the Black Ops Boat Crew. So this would be like elite level people who want to work with me. I'm launching yeah. uh, one of those soon. Um, you can learn more about that at unbeatablemind.com. That's awesome. I'm, I'm super interested in the seal fit piece. I feel like yeah. I've been training for a while just to stay in shape and keep pushing myself to the best that I can be. But whenever you have that goal in mind and you're training for something, it's just yeah. a little. You up your game. You have to up your game. You yeah. got to up the game. And I, I'm always looking for those things. So I, yeah, I'm going to definitely yeah, let me know. It It'd be great to have you there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Mark. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. Thank you so much for joining the show, Mark guys. If you enjoyed Mark, go check out his content, go grab his books, listen to the podcast. And uh, let him know what you thought of the show today. As always, price of admission is to share this with someone who you think could benefit from it and then put it into action. Everyday action comes first for a reason, right? So, Mark, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Hoo-yah. 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 Hoo-yah.